Greetings and salutations. Thank you, Kevin. I guess we're on. What a privilege it is to be with you today and get to share with you my story. My name is Navid, which means good news in Persian. But my story isn't really about me. You see, I'm just a servant. In fact, you'll find the story in your Bible under Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12. And I suspect that you've heard the most essential details before. You'll find a study sheet in your bulletin that will help you reflect on my story later if you want. And I'd like to take a moment to correct that study sheet uh, just briefly before I get started. Under the uh, second point where it talks about Daniel's prophecy and the sheet says, serve the son of man. The verse after that should be from Matthew 26, verse 64, not Matthew 22, verse 64. There's a mistake on the chapter, and it should be chapter 26. Well, my story. Many years ago, I served a good and wise man who belonged to the caste of what I think you call the Magi. I know you've heard of the Magi before. You sometimes have called them kings in some of your songs, but the Magi weren't kings. Kingmakers is really what they were. They were wise men that kings and that kings where I come from depended upon for counsel and international diplomacy and for overseeing their kingdom. They could interpret the movements of the stars, dreams, and languages. They kept histories and made prophecies. They were keepers of the past and could often foresee the future. You get your word magician from them. We were in awe of them. The kings would call upon the magi to be diplomats and statesmen, sort of like ambassadors, because they knew how to handle any situation. At that time, the magi even chose the kings of our country. Well, I was privileged to serve under my master, Caspar, who is everything I've already mentioned, and a master of interpreting world economics, too. In fact, his name, Casper, means treasure, kind of like your own Bob Hannibal. (laughs) They were keepers of the past. They understand the future. We were in all of them. I, too, was in all of my master and the mysterious wisdom that he and the others of his class had. Yet for all my master's wisdom, I never saw him smile. Rome was constantly threatening our country, and our king was old. There was a huge question of succession that weighed upon all of the Magi. I wished I could lighten my master's load. He was a proud and troubled man, and he was worried about the future. He used to tell me stories of the greatest of the Magi, feats they accomplished with their great wisdom in days when the empire was fresh and young. One of his favorites that he used to talk about was someone that you have heard of too. I think you call him Daniel, although we know him better as Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, Daniel if you prefer, was of the royal family in Israel. He was taken into exile after Babylon conquered Israel's capital city, Jerusalem. Daniel had visions of many things, including the conquest and order of empires to come. Babylon, Persia, Greece, and Rome... It all happened just as Daniel said it would, and he had served the emperors of Babylon and Persia. 
There was one very dark prophecy of Daniel that my master seemed to be fixated upon. He seemed to regard it as the key of the universe, the linchpin of history, the reason for all existence. It came to Daniel in a night vision. He saw one come with the clouds of heaven who had the appearance of a son of man. But despite his appearance, he was something much greater than a mere man. For one thing, he flew on the clouds. I haven't seen many people do that before. For another, this one like a man who was presented, to, he was presented to someone called the Ancient of Days, an eternal being, God, if you will. In addition, this Ancient of Days gave to the Son of Man overwhelming power and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve. This kingdom would be an eternal kingdom that time and enemies would never destroy. So he was a global king with an eternal kingdom. That presented a special dilemma. How could this son of man have an eternal kingdom if he weren't eternal? But if the son of man was eternal, then there would be an eternal being beside God. But God is one. How could there be two eternal beings but one God? My master desperately wanted to understand Daniel's vision of the Son of Man. But he said that even Daniel wasn't able to get to the bottom of his vision. So my master continued to study international diplomacy and world politics and economics and the night sky. He was convinced that God would reveal this special Son of Man in the proper time with signs in the celestial heavens. I listened with half an ear to all of this. For one thing, it was all too big for me. The world politics of empires? I couldn't understand half of what I heard. And what I did understand scared me to death. Our Persian Parthian empire was on the decline. As Daniel had prophesied after conquering the Babylonians, we in turn were conquered by the Greeks. And then the Romans overran the Greeks and us. We had only recently won back our independence, but we were only a shadow of what we had been. The Romans were in firm control now, exercising their Roman peace over the whole civilized world. And, but we remembered our greatness, and we longed for a return to those days of our former glory. The Persian kings now dabbled in global political intrigue and tried to avoid the hammer of Rome. There came a period when my master would huddle for hours on end with the other magi late at night discussing the night sky. They'd always studied the stars, but now their study took on a feverish pitch. For months, my master went with hardly any sleep, and I began to worry for him. I thought he was working too hard. One morning... Something really special happened. My master came in and woke me brusquely. He said to start preparing for a journey of approximately 60 days, round trip. We wouldn't be staying long, but would be returning soon after reaching our destination. He said that he, had, he and his magi friends had seen something remarkable in the stars that they'd never seen before. It was all secret and hush-hush. I was told not to buy the provisions all in one place. Instead, I should purchase things that we would need in small quantities from several places to keep from arousing suspicions. I asked for more details, but he said that was all I needed for now. He let me know more in his good time, but for now I should get to work immediately. 
we'd be setting out within the month. The rest of that month is a blur. My master huddled with the other magi at night, and I worked gathering of the items of food and animals and that our band would need for such a trip. All that haggling and arguing with so many shopkeepers and owners over small quantities gave me a headache. It would have been so much easier if I could have just bought everything we needed from two or three merchants. We started the trip in the dead of night. Our mission had about 40 people, and we were all on horseback. I knew that some of your, I know that some of your romantic pictures and movies show us on camels, but we were royal ambassadors, and camels are for slow market caravans, not a diplomatic mission. We slipped out of the city and headed west. There was a cloud cover, and it was very dark, but my master assured me the clouds would pass and we'd be seeing the stars soon enough. Eventually, the clouds did pass. The, lars, the stars lit our way like old friends. Isn't it amazing how brighter and nearer the stars seem when you get into the open country, away from the city lights? At first, we traveled only at night. Traveling at night uh, made our mission more secret as we passed villages and towns silently. However, traveling at night began to take its toll on the men and the animals. You can never rest properly during the light of day. After a few evenings, we went back to traveling during the day so we could make better time, but we continued to travel in the open country and avoid the towns and cities. One night, we were resting, and I could resist my curiosity no longer. After traveling straight west for many days and eating more dust than I care to remember, we had angled more to the south. Where were we going? What was our purpose? It obviously wasn't a, a military mission. We were too small of a force for that, weren't we? My master said, yes, we're far from loose lips now. I can tell you something of our mission, although there is much that I still don't understand. The other magi and I have seen a star, a rising star, a star from the east. It's a special star, a kingly star, in conjunction with other star clusters such as the Virgin and Leo, it has told a great story, a celestial sign that we've never seen before. We don't understand it all, but we believe it's a sign that a great king has appeared. Not only a great king, but you would have to go back hundreds of years before the Magi were formed to search out this mysterious star. In ancient records, there is a story of a seer from our country, Balaam by name. At a time of great social upheaval, a nation was born out of Egypt and came into the land next to the land that is our destination. Balaam was hired by a king from this land to come and call upon God to curse this baby nation that was crossing his land. How Balaam got there and his interactions with that king are an interesting story in itself. However, it's enough to say that the great God didn't allow Balaam to curse this nation that came out of Egypt. Instead, God made Balaam bless them, which made his host king very angry. In one of his blessings of this nation, Balaam said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor. The oracle of the man whose eye is opened. The oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered, I see him now, but not near. I behold him, 
but not now. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter is a ruler's staff, and that baby nation was Israel. We believe it is the star of Balaam's prophecy that we've been observing. For hundreds of years, there have been relations between Israel and Persia, and the blood of the Jews even flows in some of our country's royalty. It is to Israel that we are going to the land of Daniel, the nation that Balaam blessed. It is now ruled by a half-blood priest, a half-blood prince, a man of Edom whose first wife was a Jewish woman of Israel's royal family. His name is Herod. Through cunning collaboration with the Romans and claiming kinship to the Jews through his wife, Herod was proclaimed king of the Jews by the Romans. Then he betrayed the rightful king, the last of the Maccabees, who was the brother of his wife. Unfortunately, we Persians were supporting this brother at the time. So now Rome, through Herod, has the overwhelming power and influence over Israel, and Herod has a deep suspicion of us Persians. Now I was really frightened and protested to my master, but what shall we do if we meet up with this Herod? I've heard of him. He has Roman legions behind him. Isn't he the one of whom the Roman emperor said, Augustus said, better to be Herod's pig than his son? Isn't he the one who has murdered several of his wives and the priests? My master simply said, we shall see, but we must follow the star. Well, we didn't have long to wait. Herod had his spies all over, and our delegation couldn't remain hidden if it wanted to. In fact, talk of us spread far and wide and exaggerated our numbers. It wasn't long after we entered Israel that we were discovered. Herod sent a contingent of Roman soldiers to find out what we were about. He extended us an invitation to see him at his Jerusalem fortress if we came in peace, and we didn't dare refuse. The night of the invitation came. My master and the other magi warned us that we must be careful to tell the truth. But since we didn't really know much, perhaps we could learn something in this encounter that could help us. Our simple question was that we had seen a star in the east, and we believe it heralds a new king. We've come to worship him. Where is he who is born king of the Jews? I wondered at the wisdom of this last question. Uh, wouldn't it provoke Herod, who claimed to be king of the Jews, since he couldn't claim to be the king of the Jews by birth? As I said before, international politics was too big for me. Herod gave us a royal welcome, fitting of international diplomats, and we servants welcomed the chance to clean up from our long journey and to enjoy a great feast. Herod was a very likable person, a real politician. He toasted the long international ties between the Persians and the Jews. Was there a hidden jab there at how we hadn't supported them 30 years before? If there was, it was very subtle. No wonder he had managed to stay in the good graces of every twist and turn of Roman politics. I had to work to remember that he was also a ruthless ruler who had murdered many family members and priests when he suspected they might want his throne. He seemed to think our quest to find the king of the Jews was entertaining. He laughed long and loud. For further entertainment, he brought in the chief priests and the scribes of Jerusalem. He said he was an old man and he'd like to know the future as much as anyone. The Jewish scholars said there was a prophecy 
by a Jewish prophet that may relate to what we were seeking. The prophet Micah had spoken of a village south of Jerusalem called Bethlehem. It had been the birthplace of the greatest king in Israel, King David. However, it remained a small town. 300 years after King David, Micah the prophet had looked into the future and said, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old, from ancient days. My ears perked up at the mention of the phrase ancient days. It reminded me of that prophecy of Daniel that my master was so fond of, that a son of man would come before the ancient of days. My heart nearly stopped. Could this be the one my master's been looking for? The son of man who would receive an eternal kingdom? If it reminded my master of the same thing, he didn't let on in the least. Maybe I was making a wrong connection. At the time I wondered, but what happened to coming on the clouds of heaven? After the Jewish priests and scribes had left and the party had ended, we retreated to our guest rooms. The sight of the soft beds Herod had supplied us were a welcome sight after our long journey. I stretched out, and just before I fell asleep, I heard that my master and the other magi were being summoned to a private meeting with Herod. I heard later that Herod wasn't content with the information he'd got from our our delegation and from the scribes. He pressed my master and the other magi to know the exact time that the star had appeared. But after he got that bit of information, Herod treated my master and the others warmly, and he told them to go and search in Bethlehem for the child. When they found the child, Herod asked them to let him know so that in his old age he might also go and see this wonder that the prophecies said would come after him. Immediately they left Herod and came and roused us. No more sleeping in a soft bed for us that night. Quickly we gathered our things. Herod had told them to go and search for the child, and my master and the other magi weren't about to let any grass grow under our horses' hooves. It was a short distance to Bethlehem, only about six miles. As we were on the road, a wondrous thing happened. I don't know how to explain it, except to say that when we got out of Jerusalem, a star suddenly got brighter and came down closer. When my master and the other magi saw it, they went crazy with joy. They said it was the star they'd seen in the east. And there's no other way to say it that I know of. This was more than just stars seeming brighter and closer after you get away from the city lights. That star actually led us. Laughing and celebrating, you might have thought the magi were drunk. I'd never seen my master so carefree and full of joy as he was when he saw that star. All his worries seemed to melt off his shoulders. And that star, it led us to a house on the outskirts of Bethlehem. It pointed out the very house. What happened next took me totally by surprise. After so many amazing things that had happened that night, I was struck by the ordinariness of the house. There was nothing special about it. The man who came to the door to greet us looked like a, just a common peasant. 
But if the man was frightened and flustered to have all these dignitaries from a foreign country descend upon his threshold, he didn't show it. He knew we weren't Romans and we weren't Jewish. I don't think Persians of such a high caste had been in these backwaters for many years. Not since the Romans took over. It seemed he should be bowing down to us. The man led us into the house and called to his wife to bring the child Jesus. A child, a toddler, hardly more than a baby, less than two years old, certainly. Sudden, suddenly my master, and who only bent his head to kings and heads of state, went down on his face. He bowed before this baby, and not only my master, but all the magi, all these magical and majestically powerful wise men, threw themselves prostrate and worshipped the baby in this rude hut. Then they brought out the treasures they had brought on our journey and presented them to the baby. Gold, the universal currency of kings. Frankincense, the scented spice of temples and priests. And myrrh, the costly ointment that Egyptian pharaohs used in burial preparation. This last gift seemed especially odd to me. Don't you think it's strange to give expensive burial ointment to a child? I watched speechless, wondering what this couple, what this child would do with such rich gifts. Then I threw myself down beside my master. And then it was over. We said our goodbyes, but without a word of explanation to the couple, we were on our way. We didn't even tell them where we were from. We pulled outside of Bethlehem a little distance to make our camp and bed down. It had all been wonderfully exciting and exhausting, but I remember falling asleep wishing I were in one of Herod's soft beds. It seemed I had hardly closed my eyes, but it must have been a couple of hours at least. Suddenly I was shaken awake by my master. Get up! Get the horses ready! We're leaving immediately! One of the other magi has had a dream, warning us not to return to Herod. He will not be happy about the child. He's an enemy of the child. We gathered our things quickly and found a road back to Persia, avoiding Jerusalem. In my fog of fatigue, I wondered, what? Why? What will happen to the couple and the baby? What would Herod do to the family when he found out that we'd tricked him and not returned to say we'd found the king? My master said, don't worry about the child. God has pointed him out with his star, and God will take care of him. Well, that's my Christmas story. Except maybe I should share some of my conclusions. Some of the things I've thought long and hard about. For one thing, I've concluded that this child King Jesus isn't like just any old news event. It's not like, what do you call them, those dysfunctional royals from Britain, uh, Prince William, Princess Diana. Uh, celebrities to make a conversation about who don't affect my life any. Jesus grew up and claimed to be the fulfillment of Daniel's vision. See Matthew 26, 64, and remember to correct your study sheet. <laughs> Before his accusers, Jesus said, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. The child my master worshipped grew up to claim to be that eternal king of Daniel's vision. 
So I concluded that I had to come to a conclusion. <laughs> Maybe I've learned some logic from my master. After all, a claim like Jesus's doesn't let you sit on the fence. When you, come, when you become aware of, this, of his claim, you have to say, I believe or I don't believe. And a person's choice at this point could have eternal consequences. You might have to ask more questions or do more research before you choose. But not choosing at all is a choice against Jesus too. Like my master, I've thrown in my lot with King Jesus. I believed and submitted to his rule in my heart. Another thing I learned is that sometimes people like to talk about what they know, but not do anything. I'm amazed at all who didn't go with us to seek out the king. The priests and the scribes seemed to know all about the scriptures and prophecies about the king, but they didn't go with us to search out the king. They were so near, but they weren't interested enough to make the short trip to Bethlehem themselves. Are there really people like that? People who think they've heard it all and are content to have been near it all, but who have never bothered to take a step toward the king themselves? People who are proud of what they know, but who don't apply what they know? People with all the answers who have never really bothered to seek out the king personally? Apparently so. Imagine what it would be like to be one of those people and have the king tell you at the end, I never knew you. In addition to all that, I'm amazed we were so privileged to hear about the king, even though we were so far away. God found a way to get word to us anyway. It made me think, maybe that's the kind of thing that's important to God. Maybe I should be a part of getting the word to other people too about the king, especially those who are far away. I'll bet he'd be pleased if I did, as he did. I remember the joy my master had when the star led him to the answers he'd been looking for. Wouldn't it be wonderful to get to be a part of helping others find the king, helping find the answers that they're looking for? These are troubled times that we live in, and people need a savior. People need someone that they can put their trust in for the future. Finally, I've decided... I need to put more thought into what gifts I can lay before the king. What would please him? Something tells me that gold, frankincense, and myrrh aren't really what the king would want now. He's beyond money, incense, burial spices even. In an eternal kingdom, I believe I'll get another chance to see King Jesus and to leave gifts before his feet. I plan to take some time over the holidays coming up to think again for the coming year about what would please him and to renew my efforts to serve him. Would you like to join me? Maybe in the future we could talk more and encourage each other as we work at preparing our gifts to lay before the king. Thank you so much for letting me share with you my story today. I know each of you have your own story. I hope to hear yours someday, too. Thank you.